Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Merry Christmas. It's so exciting to gather together as Christmas is right around the corner. How many of you cannot believe that it's almost Christmas? Isn't it amazing? And uh, obviously, as a pastor, this is one of my favorite times of year. And to be honest with you, the sermon that I'm going to preach this morning is the one that I have been the most excited about bringing to our church family. As many of you know, the Advent season is marked by four Sundays where we have covered, and churches cover in different orders, but we cover the topics of love, peace, hope, and this morning's sermon is on joy. Now, I don't know how you are, but this, uh, how you'd find this past year, but this year's been challenging. How many of you would kind of agree with that? How about the last couple of years have been somewhat challenging? You know, what I would say is, is that what we have experienced in the U.S. in the past couple of years is a great emotional and contextual primer for this morning's sermon. And the reason why is in the time of Jesus, there was incredible political division in Israel. Not only that, there was severe oppression by the Roman Empire. Taxation was north of 50% of everything you earned. Not only this, that had created severe poverty all throughout Israel. Not only that, but in the time of Jesus, life expectancy of a newborn child was less than 50% would see a year old. So Jesus is born into a world that is messy, chaotic, dysfunctional, broken, and filled with heartache and sorrow. But as messy as the world was, interestingly enough, God, with all of his wisdom, chose that that would be the context in which he would send himself as a child. Now, again, this morning's sermon is on joy. It doesn't sound like a very good start to a sermon on joy. But what I'm going to do at the outset of this sermon, and forgive me if it's a little bit technical, but... In thinking about joy and talking to people about joy, there's been a lot of questions about what joy is. And so for the first little part of this sermon, I want to really dig into what joy is biblically so we know what it is. We can put faith handles on it and we can walk it out. Here's joy found in the Newer Testament. Joy is the Greek word kara. And it's from the root word kar. The root word means to extend favor, to lean towards, to be favorably disposed. Properly, it's the awareness of God's grace and favor. In other words, God or God's grace recognized. But what's fascinating about the word joy is it lives in a family of Greek words. The Greek language is very fascinating. Biblical Greek is very fascinating. And you end up with these families of words that morph from nouns to verbs and back to nouns again, but they all find the same root word. 
And so if you were to look at joy in the scripture, I want to give us a biblical understanding by looking at the family of words in which the Greek word for joy lives. First of all, the biblical understanding of joy, you would discover that the Greek word for joy is what's called a cognate. How many of you remember maybe middle school English and you know what a cognate is? How many of you have heard of it but don't have a clue what a cognate? Amen. A cognate is a series of words that hold one word in similarity. Things like this in English, it would be fragile and frail come from the Latin word fragilis. They come from the same word. But in Greek, as I've already mentioned, there are families of words that can be quite expansive. And what you would discover is, as I've already alluded to with the Greek word joy, it comes from the root word car. Extend favor, lean towards, be favorably disposed. The next word that is in that family is the Greek word charis. It's a noun, and it's the Greek word grace. And grace in the biblical understanding is a gift or a blessing. Again, it's the Greek word charis. How many of you have ever heard of charismatics in the Christian world? That's where that word is taken from. They are people who have experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the word charis is actually applied to a group of Jesus followers that are known as charismatics. That's the word for grace or gift. And then there's the next word in the family that's the verb for rejoice, and it's Cairo. And the word rejoice is intrinsically linked to the concept of because of grace. And then finally, you've got kara, which is a noun for joy, and it's also because of grace. And then in English, we take those five words, grace, rejoice, joy, and we look at those family of words, and that's where we get the English word charity. Charity. It comes from that family of Greek words. So if you were to look biblically, you would discover that joy lives in a family of words. The family is grace, rejoice, joy, and charity. They all live together and come from the exact same root word. So when you think about joy, you begin to recognize that there's a depth to it in Scripture. But I think oftentimes that depth is lost on our culture because we can mistake happiness for joy. You see, fun or happiness is a superficial feeling that must be repeated again and again. Joy is a deeper feeling of the whole existence. It comes from God. That quote is from one of my favorite theologians, Jurgen Moltmann, and I'll reference him a couple of times in this sermon. I love the fact that we live in a country where the pursuit of happiness is declared as one of our rights as a people. But the problem is, is that happiness doesn't bring you joy. Happiness is circumstantial. 
Happiness is something that you work very, very hard to get, and it's very elusive to keep. How many of you during this Christmas season have experienced happiness only to see it dissipate a little bit over time? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're very happy because a friend bought you the perfect gift. The problem is, is that was last year, and there's a new version this year. The other thing that Jurgen Moltmann has to say about joy is that joy is most often unexpected. It is a surprise. Joy most oftenly surprises you. You don't know it's coming. Happiness is something you work towards, you seek, you try to ferret it out. So with this understanding of joy, I would like for us to read the Christmas story or a part of it from the Gospel of Luke. I say this every time I preach during Christmas. Only two of the four Gospels mention Christmas. All four mention Easter. Easter is the point of the Christian faith. The Gospel of Luke mentions Christmas from Mary's perspective. The Gospel of Matthew mentioned Christmas from Joseph's perspective. This morning, we're going to take a look in the Gospel of Luke. Where we're getting ready to read, we need to understand that Jesus has already been born. Mary has wrapped him in a cloth and laid him in a feed trough in the home where she lives. As we pick up our story, Jesus has already been born. And then we pick up our reading now in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Here's what the text tells us. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. By the way, every time I read this, I hear the voice of Charlie Brown. How many of you? All right, let's keep going. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great Here's our word, joy, for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. When we look at Christmas in Luke's gospel, here's what we find. There are four actors. There are the shepherds. There's an angel There's the heavenly host, which, by the way, is more angels, and a baby lying in a manger, which is a sign. It points to something. Let's begin with the shepherds. The shepherds, during the time of Jesus, we taught, were viewed as being ceremonially unclean. They are viewed as the lower rung of culture in society. They are the people that have been sidelined from life. 
Then when we look at the idea of these shepherds, it's taught to us by some biblical scholars that there's a huge chance that these shepherds in Bethlehem are actually raising lambs for the sacrificial system in Jerusalem. They're a special kind of a shepherd. They are raising special lambs. And then the text tells us that an angel appears to them. What's interesting about this is the Greek word for angel simply means messenger. That's what the word literally means. Angel means someone who brings a message. And if you would notice in the text, the text literally says in our NIV version that the angel appeared to them. But if you read it in the original language, what you would discover, it just simply says that the angel stood among them. And then after that, the glory of the Lord shone around them. All the paintings I've ever seen is the angels floating above them. And there's this light that shines over them. It's not what the text says. The text says the angels stood among them. And then the glory of the Lord began to shine down. And it illuminated the space where it was. And then what we find is, is that that angel has a message to bring to the shepherds. In the end, we're going to look at that message. But what I want to do next, though, is talk briefly about what happens next. The text tells us that there was one angel that stood among them. Then the glory of the Lord shone around them. And then verse 13 tells us this. Suddenly, by the way, Jürgen Moltmann is right. Joy always surprises you and is unanticipated. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. With a sanctified imagination, here's how I picture what just happened. Let me illustrate first from our own culture. How many of you here or worshiping with us online know that the UVA men's basketball team won the national championship a couple of years ago? How many of you know this? If you didn't know that and lived in Charlottesville, there was something seriously wrong. But when the national championship happened, I just happened to be overseas. Actually, I was in Israel during that time on a trip. And what I did was I, I went down and found the Mater D in the hotel. And I said, is there any way I can get the UVA basketball game? And it would be showing at 3 o'clock in the morning in Israel. And he said, well, sir, I think we can figure that out for you. And I said, well, would you mind spreading the word through the hotel that if anyone wants to watch the national championship, <laughs> uh, they could join us. And I actually had two UVA hats. I gave one to the guy that had brought me over to Israel, I would go over and teach for him at some of the religious sites over there, a lot of fun. So I gave him a UVA hat and I put one on and we sat and we were sitting at the bar in this hotel. And what was interesting is, is the game started about six or seven US citizens came down and we all watched the game together. It was, an, it was a blast. But while we're watching the game, I'm texting my kids especially one of my daughters who was at UVA at the time, still is actually, and I texted her and said, can you believe this, can you believe this? And we're going back and forth. And then after UVA won, because God 
was on the right side of the right team. <laughs> um, I remember reaching out to this same daughter, and I said, what is the celebration like? And so she took a picture on her phone, and the corner downtown was just sheer bedlam. And all of these people were down on the corner celebrating and climbing up light poles. And the police officers are like, ah, what's the point? And they just kind of let everyone celebrate. And even people who could care less about basketball were down there just celebrating. And everyone burst down into the, onto the corner. No one could contain it. By the way, that in my mind is what happened with the heavenly host. I can't prove this. But I think the angel that was sent was the only one that was planned. I just do. And I think the angel went down and began to explain to these shepherds, and there might have been two of them. The text doesn't tell us. It just says plural. It could have been just two. We don't know. And the angel comes down. I think it was Gabriel because the angel Gabriel, earlier in the Gospel of Luke, brought a similar announcement to Mary that she would conceive of the Spirit and give birth to God's Son. So the angel comes down and makes this announcement that there's a child that's been born and he is a sign. He's a sign. And the rest of the heavenly host is like the students rushing to the corner. They can't help themselves. And they burst and heaven is rent open and the angelic host pours down into this little hillside. By the way, I've stood on that hillside, actually overlooked that hillside many times where they believed the shepherds were, and it's not that big at all. And can you imagine if you've just got these shepherds, let's say there's six of them, and they're out there in the middle of the night minding their own business, and all of a sudden a dude is standing in the middle and they don't know where he came from. And then he begins to tell them. And then the glory of the Lord kind of goes, yeah, it's true. And then these angels go, we can't take it anymore. And they rupture into earth. And they begin to cheer and to celebrate that God's peace is finally invading earth. Finally. And the angelic host can't help itself. And then probably with the greatest understatement in the entire text, the one shepherd looks at his buddy and goes, what do you think? Should we go to Bethlehem and check out? But if we think about the story, and we think about what happened, actually, it doesn't seem to make sense at all. And if you wrote the story of God invading earth, you would have never, ever written this story. Because first of all, it's the wrong audience. Shepherds can't even testify in a court of law. They're the dregs of society. They're the people that are sidelined, and yet they are the ones that the angel goes to to announce the birth of God's Son. When we think about what we just heard, we understand pretty quickly that it's all about grace. It's all about God leaning towards humankind. It's all about that group of words that we looked at at the beginning, coming together in one moment, in one child, in one announcement. 
And one of those words is joy. But what I want us to do is look at what the angel had to say, and then we're going to close. In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, I want to remind us again of the announcement of the angel before the heavenly host even shows up to reinforce what's being said. Luke 2, 10 through 12, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. By the way, that's the number one command in all of scripture, fear not. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. If you were to look at what the angel says and what the story records in the original language, you would be able to kind of really grasp the intensity of what's happening. First of all, the text tells us in the NIV that the shepherds were terrified, you would have been too. But if you read it in the original language, it doesn't say terrified. It actually says feared with a great fear. The word for great in Greek is the word mega. They feared with a mega fear. But then the angel says, but I show up with a mega joy. Mega fear, mega joy. As I was thinking about joy in the face of fear, I watched an interview with this theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, that I mentioned before. And in this interview, he said something that I have to be honest with you. I had to stop, turn off the interview, and I thought about it for 30 minutes. Hand to God. Then I watched it again and stopped it again, and I got up and took my daughter's dog for a walk. I had to literally sit with what he said. Because in this interview that he was being interviewed through, it was all about joy, and here's what he said. Hope is anticipated joy, and anxiety is anticipated terror. I can't tell you how hard that hit me. Hope is anticipated joy. Anxiety is anticipated terror. What about our lives? What about anxiety in my life? What has it looked like over the past two years? But what I do know is I painted the picture at the beginning of the reading that the time that we've been living through in many ways parallels the time in which God chose that Jesus would be born. I want you to clearly understand something, that the birth of Jesus is all about God saying to a terror-ridden people that he is Emmanuel, God with us. When God steps into the world in Jesus, the angel announces this is the Savior, this is the Son of God, this is the one that God has promised. And in the midst of horror and terror and oppression and dysfunction and brokenness, the angel makes a radical announcement. There is a child wrapped in a cloth in a manger, and that's the sign. 
Don't ever forget it. Because the sign is, is that God has committed to the human race. God didn't just step into creation. God didn't just step into time. God didn't just step into a chaotic place. God stepped into the human race as a person. And if that is true, then God is fully committed. And if he's fully committed, then the angel has every right to say, and this will bring great joy. Great joy. Because if anxiety is anticipated terror, and hope is anticipated joy, then what I can do is I can cling to Christmas and know that no matter what I face and however bad it gets, God is committed to humankind. And if he filled his promise to step in as a human, he will fulfill his promise to return again and make all things new. All of it will be made new. Please know this, know this that Christmas is a hallmark picture. It is, it's beautiful, but the undercurrent of it is much more profound. And here's what the angel announces. Luke 2.12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I love the phrase, has been born to you. If I'd have written the story, it would have been this. There was a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and he was born to Mary and Joseph. But that's not what the text says. The angel announces that the baby has been born to you, and the word is plural. And the angel had announced that this child would bring hope to all kinds. As we put feet to our faith and we close out this message, I want us to take just a moment and think about our lives. Are we as people in the kingdom of Jesus a people that is marked by hope or is it anxiety? I want to remind us again of Jürgen Moltmann's quote, hope is anticipated joy, anxiety is anticipated terror. Did you notice that in the story of the shepherds, they go from much or mega fear to mega joy? That's what Christmas can do if we believe. The next thing about putting feet to our faith is that we would be reminded again that the angels came to announce the birth of a child and that this child would be a sign. I want to be clear about the problem with signs. Signs point to something, but oftentimes the sign can captivate us and we miss what it's pointing to. Almost all theologians speak of this, that signs in scriptures are like pointing out something to a dog Oftentimes when you point for a dog, it looks at your finger instead of what you're pointing at. The question has to be for you and for me, is that what is Jesus a sign of? What is the sign pointing to? And the angel reminds us, he's pointing to mega joy. Would you stand with me 
as we close. As we close out our time, I'm going to ask that you would take a moment and close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I'd like for you with a sanctified imagination to be brought to the manger. And you're there with the shepherds. And what's echoing in your ears is the announcement of the angel. Amen.